The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm Dave Cornelier, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on February 21st, 2021, and I'm joined today, as always, by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hey, Adam. Hey, Dave. How's it going this week? I am uh, pleased to report that it's you won't die immediately of exposure if you go outside. Hey, that's that that's uh, that's good news. It, it uh, takes a while now, you know, maybe more like 10 minutes instead of one. It, it has warmed up. Uh, the last time we talked in this podcast, it was like minus 30 outside. And I'm pleased to report that it is uh, above at least yesterday. I think it was above zero temperatures. So we're on the uh, we're on the warm up, at least until the next uh, cold front roll, rolls in. And I feel like that's the most quintessentially Edmontonian or Canadian thing to do is start a podcast talking about the weather. Uh, so we're going to move on now. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to welcome uh, two guests to the podcast today. We're doing a little bit of a different format today, kind of a more of a political panel. Uh, and I'm excited to welcome Danny Parody, uh, contributing editor at Canada Land and co-editor of the Rage Against the Municipal newsletter. Um, I'll put the link up on the uh, on the on the in the show notes so you guys can check that out. Welcome to the podcast, Danny. Thanks, Dave. It's a dry cold. It wouldn't yeah. be any kind of um, Canadian weather discussion if we didn't mention that. That's that's right. That's right. Our our listeners in in in, in Toronto and Ottawa wouldn't understand what that means, but <laughs> uh, we're, we're them. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're also joined today by Chris Henderson, uh, chief strategist and partner at Y Station Communications and Research, and longtime. Uh, Edmonton campaign manager and campaign strategist. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris. I think this is your third time on the podcast. So we're, we're uh, yeah, I think got so. like a hat That's trick true. going on. Yeah, do I get a little hat? Um, we'll, 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 we'll <laughs> I got like we a little Dave Berta hat. You know, we'll see if we have that in the budget. I've been thinking about swag. That'd be kind of fun. Um, would, would you wear a Dave Berta hat? Chris? You, know, you know what reminds me is those Republic of Alberta hats that we used to try and buy from that gas station near Lethbridge. Oh, near Nan oh, just outside Nanton, I think was where it yeah, was. Yeah, oh, just outside Nanton. You, uh, we don't. Every time we'd go down to Lethbridge, we would stop in, and when when Dave and I worked together, we would stop in and try and stop. Uh, yeah, get those hats that. But you know, they're not. They don't make them anymore. So well, you could bring them back. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure you can. I'm sure that you can buy them online or something. Um. Well, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the Dave Berta podcast. Um, we're uh, yeah, we're uh, we're here today to talk about. We're going to talk about a lot of things, but um, we're going to delve right in. We haven't really done a podcast on municipal municipal politics this year. Last year, we we did a uh, a podcast where we had Mac Mail on from um, speaking the speaking municipally or municipally speaking. I can't remember which one it which way it goes, but that, that podcast, um, which, uh, which, which I listened to as well, um, to talk about the, um, the lay of the land municipally in 2020, but we're at a different, uh, a different political environment right now. We are in the, uh, campaign period officially January 1st, uh, according to the new, uh, elections, uh, municipal elections rules in Alberta, uh, the election campaign, is has all in all in all in all sense started because there are candidates who are out there campaigning. Um, I guess as much as you can during a pandemic, but but probably more importantly, um, because they've registered as candidates, they're trying to raise money, which I think is is on the minds of uh, of a lot of candidates, especially running for mayor. So, I guess um, I'll I'll throw it out to to you, Danny, if you wanted to mm -hmm. just provide us with some some thoughts. What like 
what are your thoughts on this campaign, on this municipal election campaign so far? Mm -hmm. This election is definitely shaping up to be uh, different than in the past. So not completely without precedent, but we are looking at having some national referendums on items like equalization payments. I feel like there should be like a little like scary voiceover like equalization <laughs> payments. We'll, we'll see what we'll see what Adam can do with the editor. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Um, <laughs> and then also uh, the Senate referendum, which is always like a, a good bit of um, red meat populism for Alberta. So those two things, you know, longstanding issues, but we're going to be seeing them on the municipal ballot. And although in the past we've seen a lot of proxy battles between progressive and um, conservative thought, um, you know, more and more we're seeing the changes to the election act which allow for more money to come in um, political ad or political advertising uh, and a lot more potential for partisanship so that's likely to uh, you know we've all seen what the provincial election looks like and i think we can look forward to a little bit of that on the municipal level um calgary looks like they're dusting off the debate for fluoride so that's gonna be fun <laughs> i'm really looking forward to writing a piece about that those crazy calgarians yeah, they remove fluoride from their from their water. Um, I heard, I think um, I think I, I saw Jason Markasoff from McLean's magazine tweet about the uh, that him reminiscing about that debate when he was uh, the Calgary Herald city uh, city council reporter about what a, what a, a totally um, crazy and unfact based uh, debate. I'm paraphrasing, of course, uh, but but uh, what what a what a uh, what a crazy debate that was when when they first uh, when they first. Um, uh, uh, removed fluoride back back a couple of years ago, and I, I posted a tweet afterwards saying that uh, you know it's in in Calgary. It's going to be really important for uh, for uh, voters in Calgary to ask their you know ask their school board trustee candidates what they think about uh, equalization, and ask uh, what uh, what ask their Senate candidates what they think about fluoride in the water. So it's, it it really feels like there's with the injection of these kind of provincial referendum questions, like you said, on equalization, there's a Senate nominee election, there's, there's, there's rumors that there might be or indications that there might be uh, referendums on other issues like Alberta withdrawing from the Canada pension plan and, and a whole bunch of other stuff related to the fair deal panel recommendations that came out last year. Um, so it really feels that like, on top of everything normally, that would happen during a municipal election, uh, it feels like it's going to be a real dog's breakfast in terms of like the issues that are, are going to be, or the, the the groups that are going to be kind of trying to grab attend people's attention during this campaign. So, I guess Chris, what 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 do you think about this like this campaign looking from I don't know uh, eight nine months out? Uh, well, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting dynamic for one for for campaigns because people are essentially rushing out to declare themselves and then have really nothing to do for a while. Like the campaigns as a, as an entity are hard to keep going, like a, like a, to keep a, uh, to keep a meaningful campaign going and in, in the fresh in the minds of voters is hard. It costs money. It takes time. It's, um, and so you, yeah, you essentially have people handing in their papers and then taking a break. Um, but because you're entering yourselves into the, into the conversation, it, uh, there's there's just nothing to talk about. So I it's going to be, I think that works really well for councillor campaigns, both in Calgary and Edmonton. Um, the councillor, you know, a big part of being a city councillor is, or winning a city council campaign as a councillor is doing quite a bit of credibility building. And so you, you know, you declare yourself and then you 
Um, you spend eight, nine months meeting every person you can in this case, probably having zoom meetings or, or, you know, doing social media posts as much as possible, but mayoral candidates have a harder time, um, because they, you know, it, it's not really that retail, uh, based. So, uh, I, it'll be interesting to see when those mayoral races actually kick in, um, and really start to shape the the ballot questions that we're that we're seeing in in municipal politics but uh it man i feel bad for those for for the the mayoral campaigns because they've got to figure out how to stay relevant how to keep people's attention uh how to keep people's attention from drifting to them to drifting to the new the next sorry the most recent person that's that's filed their papers uh it's it's interesting on the on the referendums front I mean, the whole point of these referendums is to pose issues that political action committees can advertise to, to draw certain types of voters to the polls mm -hmm. and hopefully shape these councils. Uh, I think, I mean, I don't think that will be totally ineffective, but, you know, having, having you know, faced voters on a number of occasions uh, over the years, it's interesting to see how people view their municipal politics very differently than they view their provincial or federal politics. Um, municipal politics tends to be much like, I think people generally accept that it is a much more nonpartisan uh, type of politics. I think, you know, the, I think you'd be surprised in the 2017 election, how many Don Iverson for mayor, Mike Nickel for, um, for counselor votes you would see. Uh, ballots you'd see it probably be quite a few mm -hmm. um and people don't see a contradiction necessarily between those two choices um because i don't think people necessarily to to a point i don't think people look at their municipal ballot as being a left right uh traditional political spectrum thing so i i think that'll be an interesting dynamic to put in it maybe it maybe it will be nothing maybe right maybe people will just Maybe a lot of people will reject their referendum ballots or reject their Senate ballots. Mm -hmm. I do wonder how much attention they're going to get. I mean, I think back to previous, um, I mean, it's been a while since we've had a referendum in this province, um, even at the municipal, I mean, at the municipal level. Did we even, was there, was there a referendum on the, on the airport a few years ago? Did that actually make it to referendum <clears> or was that, I'm trying to remember. It was immediately, it was an issue during I the think, mayoral election. I think that there was a referendum on the, on the airport, I think. Or, well, no, no, I think I think they tried to get it to referendum, but then it didn't make it, and then they and then it became kind of the key. There was the Envision Edmonton group that it was their key municipal. Issue. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think like uh, so it's been a while since we have had a referendum, um, and and I do wonder. I mean, I think that you're right about the um, how people think generally municipal, at least how people have in the past thought about municipal elections, and that's one of the things I've like personally that I've the municipal campaigns that I've been I've been involved in. I've enjoyed the one, the, the ones I've enjoyed the most have been the ones where there are people from all different sorts of political backgrounds. Because back when I was involved in partisan politics, I wouldn't be working on a campaign with a conservative uh, generally because that's not my team. That's that was wasn't the party, the, the the groups that I was involved in. Um, but with a with a with a council campaign or a mayoral campaign, it was kind of the uh, you know you'd you'd have the opportunity to work with work with conservatives um, and you know get to know people from from di from different partisan backgrounds who you wouldn't necessarily be involved in a campaign with provincially or federally. Um, and I think that's well, probably one of the strengths of some municipal campaigns in my mind. Well, and it's interesting because you, if you help elect 
a really powerful figure municipally. Uh, you don't feel as if you're, you know, empowering their whole, like a whole host of other people, right? Like a whole party mm -hmm. of people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a one person who's, you know, going to be there to help make or guide or guide or make decisions on, on really like meat and potato issues, like, you know, um, civic reputation and uh, potholes and, you know, the quality of rec centers and, and stuff like that. And those aren't really left and right issues. Those are sort of like the clean issues of your absence. Clean drinking Yeah, clean drinking water. <laughs> um, those are really um, like basic everyday, um, I, that what I need to keep my life moving issues. Whereas, you know, the provincial and federal level are, are a bit, the policies are a little bit more esoteric. So talking about, I mean, before I jump in and, and we talk about the actual like campaigns as they're going or, or the issues, um, <clears throat> how do how does a campaign sustain itself? I mean, Chris, you talked a bit about social media, but how does a campaign sustain itself this long? And I, th I, mean, I think we've seen some different um, some different tactics and strategies from from uh, council and mayoral candidates. I'm sp speaking more specifically about Edmonton. Um, you know, on the council level, we have a lot of candidates who've, uh, quite a few candidates who've announced and who are getting out and running. I think in my ward, I, I, I live in the Ward Métis riding, and I think there are seven or eight candidates who've announced so far and who are actively out campaigning. I've had like three or four candidates who I've had um, pamphlets from already uh, delivered to my door through the mail. Um, so there's active campaigns going on. On the mayoral level, we've seen it, it you know, there are a couple candidates um, who've announced and who've launched campaigns. I'm thinking like Kim Cruchel, uh, former city councilor, has gotten got come out and launched a campaign. Um, she's put out some social media. Um, she has a website. They, she had a campaign launch. Um, her campaign has officially been launched. Um, uh, Cheryl John, or permission, not Cheryl John, or pardon me, Cheryl Watson, um, who's a, another candidate who's running a little less well known. Um, she's been very active on social media, um, and I think that's probably what she should be doing because I don't think she has very good name recognition and she needs to get out there and, and introduce herself to Edmontonians. They've been very active. And then you have a candidate like former council, my counselor, Michael Oshry, who's, um, who's a now or who's filed his papers, but then didn't have any comment to the media. And I wonder about like, I mean, I, th I, I suspect that has to do with him being able to raise money as soon as he starts, as soon as he files his paper, he's allowed to, to start raising money for his campaign, but he hasn't made the decision to go out and actually launch his campaign yet. So um, you know, when he does launch his campaign, even though he's already filed his papers and there's been a bit of news coverage about it, when he eventually does launch his campaign, when whenever that is, I mean, it will be more of a splash and it will be more of a, I mean, I would, I would assume that's the, that's part of the thinking is that then he'll be kind of the new candidate and it won't be, won't be uh, something that he's had to have sustained over this past, uh, past few months. I don't know. What are your, what are your guys thoughts on that? Yeah, Dang. I think um, when you see, I mean, <clears throat> this is probably more Chris's domain as a, his experience with running campaigns, but you do see a lot more online engagement. I think you're going to be stuck doing online engagement, although traditionally local politics is local and you you go to schools, you talk to people, you come, you know, you door knocking is huge. Door knocking is the thing in a municipal election. So I think they're going to really be struggling to replace that. And perhaps Facebook, perhaps, I don't know, maybe next door in between all of the posts about like, 
raccoons and suspicious looking people that people see walking around. <laughs> Maybe they can break through some of that noise. Coyotes. Coyotes are huge on, on my next door neighborhood app. Um, so maybe maybe they could do some cross collaboration with the coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like pin your pin your stuff onto a coyote. You pin a little billboard That's on a perfect, coyote, like a little sandwich board on a coyote. Yeah, that, that yeah. coyote running down my lane had a vote Chris sign on it. Yeah, it co costs me one prime rib steak a week, and yeah. <laughs> uh, it. I think it is it is very interesting to see the campaigns trying to figure out how to keep keep things going um i think the i think social media is obviously a really really key here um because it gives you an opportunity to you know announce events and uh you know every candidate that i've spoken to in the last you know seven or sorry uh, three or four months has emphasized that they, they're taking a lot of zoom meetings mm -hmm. like we all are um and um but it is it, it is because uh, it's not just that you can raise money, it's that you can't really spend any money and you can't take a lot of um, in-kind contributions without having, like you have to be ready to report that stuff and you you can't just like take $20,000 worth of work in-kind from somebody um, without having... Can you explain, having... explain that a bit? What, what that means for, for uh, someone? Oh, it means if, you know, someone like you, someone just can't build your website for you uh, for free, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the, the new rules make it so that they can give you basically $5,000 worth of work and how you price that $5,000 is sort of up to you and the person that runs the website, but there has to be some kind of fair market value attached to it. So it, it's not, yeah, it's, it, it's hard to actually not just raise the money, but it's hard to put a team together and, and get them to do some stuff. Uh, without having um, without having actually registered, so, but um, I think it will be very difficult for candidates to remain in the public eye. I mean, I've said this to a number of people that um, you can do whatever you want now. Uh, I think no one really cares, right? Like people, like the municipal politics are important to people but they don't actually start thinking about the decisions that they're making until July, August, September, or October, anything you kind of do now, you've got to be prepared to redo. Um, and it, you know, and it might be a good time to build platforms and it might be a good time to build networks and a team and, and all that. But in terms of actually getting voters to like make a decision about who they want to elect in the up in the October 18, 2021 election, there's just not a lot of decisions being made right now and not, you know, any polling you see right now is very, is going to be very, very, um, very, very tentative. Can I just uh, say I, one poll I found really fascinating was the friends of Lucy have already been out um, commissioning a main street poll uh, on candidates, which it was interesting because not everybody's declared yet, but also, um, very niche. I, I didn't know that they had those sorts of resources. This is, this is the Lucy the Elephant, free Lucy, free Lucy the, the Elephant group. Yeah, okay. yeah, they're still yeah. still around. So they they released that poll, mm -hmm. and I can't. I actually can't remember. I read the poll. I couldn't. I can't remember what the results on Lucy were. But of, of course, like the friends of Lucy are like really. The, everybody, Edmontonians want the elephant released. 
I think, you know, but so, so did, did they you, ask, did they ask about the question about Lucy and then they tagged on a question about the mayoral election? Is that how it yeah. worked? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what candidates um like I suppose would they support a candidate who wanted to free Lucy? And um interestingly, it is very early, but the biggest winner of the um mayoral election was unknown for the time being. Yeah. Yeah, it was like sixty-two percent. Wow. Of, were like of of likely voters, I think, were like, I don't have a choice right now. And when they when they gave them a, a when they talked to decided voters, that that netted out a bit better. I think it was like Nickel, Cruchel, Knack, Watson, somebody. I can't I can't remember exactly mm -hmm. what it was. In Main Street, you know, you can find it on Main Street's website, or you can Google it and it'll come up. Okay, yeah, I'll try um, to find it and put a link in the show notes for for our listeners. But, uh, but the Jane Goodall came out this week, yes, and and said that Lucy should stay where she is. Like after reviewing things, it's probably not good for the animal to, which I think I imagine would have really taken the wind out of the sails of, of the friends of Lucy because now Jane Goodall is no longer a friend of Lucy. I guess I um, well, she's she's a friend of Lucy. Just she disagrees yeah. with the group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she doesn't hate Lucy. No, um, no. We're gonna get so much social media <laughs> flack just like for talking about Lucy. So. You know, I I, I, I I very briefly once years ago on Ryan Jesperson's show when he was still on that that radio station that we won't mention, um, I mentioned something or he asked me a question about Lucy and I mentioned my my position on Lucy and uh, and man did I get like social media like yeah. comments on Twitter it was like all of a sudden people just came out of the woodwork people who had never seen on social media before was like how can you, you're such an animal you're you're a monster but, okay. very no, I, resilient I, lobby they're very passionate about their, they are. their issue yeah. yeah. I know I I've seen you know as somebody who's run a couple of campaigns on a municipal level I've seen this issue come up over and over and one time I just asked like somebody that uh, was in a position to to make a decision about it like why don't you know like you know why not allow a second veterinarian to come in and they told me that the city has hired a veterinarian and that veterinarian, like they have to rely on the expertise of that veterinarian. The moment that you bring in another veterinarian and that veterinarian makes a different assessment, then the decision about what happens to Lucy is uh, falls to council. And city and the city of Edmonton city council should not be making the, the decisions about the life of an animal. Uh, because then it's an entirely political decision rather than a decision in the, in the in the best interest of the welfare of the animal. And if you don't believe your own veterinarian, then you should have a different veterinarian. So I, I was really fascinated by that answer because it like the because it, you know it's like really uh, not so much a question about what should we do with Lucy, but really a question of like what should what kind of decisions do we really want our council making and what kind of decisions do we want to, them to stay out of and the lives of individual animals i think is uh, I, an issue i would i do want council to stay out of because if you can make decisions on that like what other kinds of things can you make decisions on now does that change if we're looking at a smaller municipality though where you actually you could see a situation like a, a dog that bites people and whether or not to put the dog down or captures an animal like it, does it change just because of the the location well but it, it, <clears throat> there would be a i imagine there'd be some kind of um ordinance around that kind of thing wouldn't there like a yeah. bylaw or something 
Yeah, but mean, like, like little <laughs> little municipalities get up to all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, well, I mean, just because they would, <clears throat> I'm not sure means they should. Uh, so the, 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 the town I grew up in, uh, I grew up in a, a small town, which is actually a large town now, uh, just north of north of Edmonton called Mournville. And um, when I was a kid, there was this huge debate around whether this, the town should have a cat bylaw. And I mean, this is kind of what I'm, what, when, when you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, uh, town councils getting involved in something like this. And it was like one of the most contentious debates about whether people should have to register their cats, just like they register their dogs. And eventually the council, like, like the cat people came out in force. And I'm not saying that, in a, <laughs> I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, like the cat people, but like the Do people you mean who like own cat lady. <laughs> yeah. No, but the people the who cat own cats, I'm sure there were some cat, crazy cat ladies in that group, but like most of them were like, you know, reasonably well-adjusted human <laughs> beings with pet cats. Um, and they came out in force mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, they made their arguments about, uh, you know, well, if, if you have to register cats, people aren't going to have cats and the mouse population is going to get it, going to get out of control. And, 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 you know, I, and I actually don't, I don't own a cat. I own a dog. So I don't actually know in Edmonton whether you have to register your cats or not, but that's kind of one of the things that I was, uh, when, when you mentioned about, uh, uh, you know, the deciding the life, I mean, not necessarily, it's not necessarily a life or death thing, I guess, with cats, whether you have to register them or not. I mean, in some circumstances it could be, um, but, uh, um, uh, uh, so Lucy, um, issues in, uh, in, <laughs> in at city council and in the Edmonton election, um, do you, I don't necessarily think that Lucy the elephant is going to be a big issue during the municipal election. I think that no. the Lucy people have tried to, or the free Lucy people have tried to to get their issue on the radar, and they have to a certain extent. But, but in terms of of the issues that are going to define this election, it's I mean it is way early, way too early to like, you know, definitively say what's the ballot question for the next election. I mean, a lot of times, especially during federal or provincial elections um you know so there's some there's sometimes where the big issue in the first week of the campaign is not the big issue in the last week of the campaign but i think when when you look at the the candidates who are running for mayor so far um the candidates who are talking about what they want to do um you can kind of see some some key narratives developing around around what the what they want the issue to be at least this early in the campaign and i mean things shift people change their mind candidates will put out different policy and kind of try to, you know, read the tea leaves and read the wind, read, read the way the, the wind is shifting. And when I look at the candidates like Kim Cushell and I look at candidates like Mike Nickel and, um, and, and such, and I see that there is kind of a, to varying degrees, a kind of back to basics narrative, uh, you know, which, which is concerning because usually when I hear candidates talk about back to basics, I hear candidates talk about, data-driven decision-making it's like code for cuts is is really <laughs> i mean you know there, there's a lot of stuff that that improves the quality of life uh of people in in edmontonians and people in, in you know living living in this city that doesn't necessarily make sense when you look at a spreadsheet or doesn't necessarily make sense when you look at data uh but you know I'm talking about things like neighborhood pools and neighborhood recreation centers, mm -hmm. things that actually physically or like actually like definitively, I guess I'd say qualitatively improve people's uh, people's quality of life, but don't necessarily, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily make the ton, a ton of sense in terms of the of the balance sheet. And I, I, I worry that like we haven't seen like a real defining counter narrative to that, at least on the municipal level. And it, and it is uh, I mean, it is still early. So I guess I mean I'll throw it out, out to you guys, Danny or Chris, whoever wants to jump in. Um, like, what do you, what do you see as the issue, the big issues? And I talk about the mayoral campaign because it's generally the mayoral campaign that seems to drive 
the, the, the narrative of the campaign, even though there's all these other campaigns going on for council and school boards. So what do you guys see as that? What do you think Edmontonians want in terms of, and, and what do you think is resonating or going to resonate with Edmontonians in this campaign? So I'm going to shift a little bit from Edmonton to point like this is an unusual sure. situation where we see Fort McMurray um, and the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo in a very unusual fight over 911 dispatch. So oh, okay. it, we're actually, you know, it, they there was an order in council earlier that ended up going to court. Alberta Health got an injunction uh, because the municipality was refusing to forward the phone calls to um, the provincial 911 dispatch that centralizes the um the services and that was a that was a really fascinating um departure from what you normally see in municipal politics so it, because it's so early it's hard to say you can definitely tell by looking at um you know mike nickel and some of the other declared candidates that there's going to be this this sort of perennial business friendly what's good for business running government like business um conversation but there are some other issues that are you know, just kind of bubbling below the surface. And that could, um, in Edmonton, that could come up just as well as in Calgary um, and already has come up in, in Wood Buffalo. You also have COVID. Uh, and I think we're going to see something at the school board level that we haven't seen before where people are having to answer questions for like their accountability on school outbreaks, mm. those sorts of issues, and, and maybe even dealing with the pandemic generally. Um, defunding the police, that has, you know, kind of, crest and fallen and, and coming back up and this week we're seeing um you know police officers uh removed a group of people who were uh providing aid to homeless people as well as the homeless people themselves into a minus 30 winter outside of a bus stop um the same week that we just saw rallies yesterday with tiki torches at the legislature uh and we have the um the police and their infinite wisdom on social media talking about it being a respectful and peaceful protest when there's uh, allegations that the proud boys were there so there's a there's sort of a whole bunch of issues that could come up but it's hard to say if that's going to capture the imagination of the voter in the summer the dave Berta podcast is brought to you by pod power with pod power our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of albertans and alberta podcasters this episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to Is This For Real, a podcast about various facets of black life in Edmonton. In the first season of the show, Breaking the Blue Wall, hosts Omar Salafu and Hanan Muhammad explore anti-black racism and policing and tell stories about policing in schools, accountability in Alberta's policing system, and the impacts of police violence on black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca. You can also support the work of these podcasters and future seasons on Patreon. This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is also brought to you by Career Essentials, a new podcast from techlifetoday.ca and Nate. Career Essentials offers real-world advice and insight into different careers and career paths. It features the stories and experiences of Nate alumni, with lessons for everyone. Discover perspectives, tools, and tips essential to career growth and success, no matter what stage you're at in your career journey. A recent episode you might find interesting features Edmonton chef Stephen Brochu of Milk Crate, who explains why mental health in the restaurant industry often gets ignored, and Steve shares what he's doing to change that. 
Find Career Essentials on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at techlifetoday.ca forward slash podcast. Point you raised about the the nine one one dispatch in Fort McMurray, I thought was really interesting. And when you talk about, I mean, the upcoming municipal campaign and mm-hmm. just like the relations between municipalities in this province and the provincial government, I mean, if, you know, it's nine one nine one one dispatch. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of municipalities. I think it was like Red Deer and Calgary and Edmonton and and the larger larger municipalities like like. Um, uh, and including for, um, uh, Wood Buffalo, municipal, regional, regional municipality of Wood Buffalo, um, but you're seeing them stand up to the provincial government, which isn't something that we really like. You're traditionally biting the hand that feeds you. Yeah, and I mean, like for like Wood Buffalo Mayor Don Scott to basically get up and say, you know, we're we're not, you know, I'm ordering, you know, we've we've passed a unanimous motion at council. Um, that from what I understand was actually backed by Tani Yao, who was the UCP, UCP MLA for Fort McMurray Wood Buffalo, um, oh. that basically says we're not going to hand over, we're not going to redirect dispatch to the, the central um, central uh, 911 hub that the province is setting up. And he basically issued a challenge saying, like, if you don't like it, you can you can fire me. Um, I mean, that's that's quite uh, unprecedented in terms of, of municipal, municipal politicians standing up. I think about like in our last episode, we had um, Kevin Van Tegum come, come on and talk about the coal issue down in Southern Alberta and the number of municipal councils in Southwest Alberta who have, you know, stood up and, uh, and said some pretty aggressive things against the provincial government um, about the removal of the 1976 uh, coal policy. Um, like, there was a time in the not too distant past where municipalities were basically were basically afraid to step up again and speak out against the provincial government, and that seems to be like that's past now. And I think, I mean, uh, probably probably because the the relationship that the province has had with municipalities that you know what I mean, the UCP has been kicking around municipalities for a year and a half. I mean, some municipalities might think, well, you know, well, what do we have to lose at this point? So, yeah, Chris, I think, that's a, I think that's exactly it. I think it's not so much biting the hand that feeds you as it is biting the fan, biting the hand that doesn't feed you anymore. Uh, and the, uh, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think being able to pick those fights is a, is an interesting, um, dynamic in this, in this election. Um, because I think, you know, I think, I, I don't think it would be, it would sound politically motivated to say, to say that I don't think that the United Conservative Party is polling particularly well across the, the province. Certainly they're polling better in other areas than others. And, and uh, and recovery from from those numbers will be easier in some areas than others, but um, but I think those municipalities are a lot of them, you know, Calgary and Edmonton are are have been in a perennial fight with the uh, with the provincial government for funding and for taxation powers and for a city charter, and so that's really nothing new. But I think some of those other municipalities are really telling the provincial government that you better not take us for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think they're, I think they've been pushed a little bit, uh, pushed enough that they're deciding to make that, that pretty clear. I think in terms of the issues in this election, uh, particularly in the mayor's races, I think the people that have come out so far are talking about the issues that are really in their lane. Um, and, you know, I would, I'd say that the, the issue, if I could sum up the issues right now, it's that. We need a little bit of change. Um, maybe go back to basics a little bit, and maybe, but but generally speaking, the people that have announced so far 
talking about their issues in, in, in the areas where they're probably most most well-known for or most comfortable speaking. But I really think, and I really do believe this, I think that the issues might drastically change uh, from any other municipal election because I'm not totally sure that we as a city, either in Edmonton or Calgary, really know who we are and what we expect out of our municipal government right now. I, I think it, in in past years, it would have been easy to say we want the projects to be run better or we want the the taxes to be lower. And I just don't know if that's what where people are going to go now. Like that, you know, like COVID, I think is sticking, getting stuck at home and, and you know, no one, like most people aren't going to go back to five days in the office and uh, five days a week in the office. Um how that how life how life has permanently changed over the course of this pandemic may also change the issues that people are expecting their city their city and city administration to deal with and i don't think that's totally clear right now i think it will become clearer as people start to make it clear to the candidates and the candidates will then mirror that out to the to the public but i don't think it'll be as simple as let's go back to basics or let's build up the downtown again or so know, what, what do you think what do you think the issue would be or what do you think that i mean not one issue but the in terms of the shifting i i think there's going to be maybe some issues around you know making sure that we're treating the vulnerable uh in a different way i think you know the defund the police uh conversation is i don't think that that's I don't. I don't think that that discussion, when it when it was first really quite red hot in Edmonton, was just a group of protesters getting their way. I think people are really, I think people that watched Black Lives Matter emerge, for, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, and and really, I think felt something, and I think it shifted some of their values, and I think that you're seeing that reflected, and I think the. The response certainly to la the, the incident last week was, I think, a, a, a response to an understanding that the uh, common common attitudes around issues of systemic racism have changed. And I think that um, I don't think that something like that would have been in, uh, a political issue in 2017 or 2013 or 2014 or or uh, or. Um, Sorry, 2013 or 2010. I think it would have been, but I think it is now. I think I think that the the idea of, um, <clears throat> I think post pandemic values are gonna sh are gonna shift, and and you know I think there will be a, a stronger sense of social justice among our electorate, uh, whether they you know whether they're really vocal about it or not. Um, I think that I and maybe this is me hoping this, but I think that the general humanity of people has changed a little. And I think that we're going to, this, this election will be the first opportunity we have to see that reflected at the ballot box. But I think, I think we also can't, like we can't undervalue the changes to the election laws that allow a lot more money and potential like political uh, partisan advertising um, PACs participating more money coming in and I think that that's going to benefit conservative candidates and you know potentially create slates of conservative candidates that's been the rumor uh, and and that will drive like some of the narrative of municipal politics as well more, probably 
even more than, um, you know, it's something like defund the police, which is a somewhat decentralized uh, activism. It, there's not one group consistently pushing for this in mm-hmm. in Alberta. Um, there is in other places, but here it's there's a there's a lot of different issues within there. There's also you know you'll hear people talking about indigenous lives that matter, Black Lives Matter. Um, there are some organizations like Progress Alberta that are kind of keeping people's eyes on that, but by and large, it's not going to be as coordinated and um, as and disciplined as the conservative uh, campaigns are going to be. Uh, you know that I, I don't want to disagree with you, uh, Danny. I think everything is uh, is super well taken, <laughs> but I think the the issue with the the like the dark money packs and uh, I think requires a level of um, and and the conservative slates mm-hmm. it requires a level of um, organization that I don't think we typically see in Alberta, to be perfectly frank. Um, and I think that a lot of those, um, I think a lot of those political action committees will be super easy to spot. And I think, I think people might react poorly to them, um, because I don't think they're going to look like they're, they're putting themselves forward in good faith. Um, and I, and I, and I, you know, I don't think voters are stupid people. I think voters are actually like, particularly in Al or in municipalities, I think when, when looking at municipal issues, I think they're actually pretty pretty savvy. Um, I think they can spot a fake, and I think they will and they will push against. Um, I think they'll push against uh, you know a campaign from a shady, shadowy political action committee that uh, that doesn't seem to be tied to any particular candidate and, and keeps talking about issues that that they expect to be talked about in out in the open by their elected representatives. And all of a sudden it's like being advertised to them on a, uh, in an ad by no one in particular. Um, I, I think, I think people will spot that. And, and I think they'll, the, there might be some backlash against that. Now I'm sure I'm could be wrong. Uh, and. You okay, know. so here's why I think that you you may yeah. be wrong, but I don't have any data. Yeah. Um, the voter turnout has traditionally been like under forty percent in the uh, in elections. So you're going to see the you know we're ta- you're talking about people who are high information voters who are coming in who follow politics who vote in municipal municipal elections normally, but who that dark money is going to target is going to be people who are low information voters who you can get on one or two key issues. I mean, you know, like, look, look at the fluoride people, right? You could probably convince a fluoride person to come out and vote for just this one niche issue, not knowing anything about anything else. Uh, and so I think that that's, that's the unique advantage that um, the political action committees have this time. But the connection between those unique issues and specific mm-hmm. candidates is very hard to make. Right, because if you decide you're going to be an anti-fluoride candidate, you have to go out and talk about anti-fluoride everywhere you go, right. uh, or you or, because you know you've made it clear that you align with this anti-fluoride or pro-fluoride for that matter. I am very pro-fluoride. I want to make it very, very clear. And I have very good teeth. He has very good teeth. I, you know, it's seat. like yeah. Also the. When you have when you have when you drink the fluoride, the water with the fluoride, you get way better cell reception. So, <laughs> yeah. 
The um, you read that on, on Facebook somewhere, right? That's, yeah, same with the vaccine. You know, I'm hoping, wait, can't wait to get the vaccine because then I can use 5G on my phone. Oh, okay, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, okay, okay, sorry. The, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think making the connection between the, the, the I think the, a candidate like taking, tying themselves to that political action committee is really risky because you don't have any real control. I mean, maybe you have like, maybe you're in on the, on the, on the campaign or something like that, but. But it's, you know, that can really define and destroy you if you're if you're attached to a political action committee that makes a boo boo, um, and and then all of a sudden you have to, to speak for. I would be very surprised to see mayoral candidates in either either the major cities or Fort McMurray or Lethbridge or Red Deer you, or wherever. <clears throat> jumping you'd be surprised to see people. Mike Nickel like not wading into a political action committee fight. I, I think I, all you need I, to do is like toss bike lanes in front of him, and he's going to pounce. I mean, he's got very a very defined set of issues, but I think that he, I generally think he'll stay away from from those political action committees. Hmm. I, I think, yeah, they. Uh, but um, I, I, yeah, I don't think mayoral candidates will be. I think they'll, you know, maybe on the four. What's the what's the major provincial referendum that they've already definitely put put down? Equalization. 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 I think. I mean, equalization is a like it. It's a it's a tough issue to to communicate. Other than like, we're not getting our fair deal from Ottawa, and um, and you know, people will be coming out to vote on in either like in favor of it. But I, I think you're more likely to hear people talking about how these referendums are non-binding. Uh, the at least the provincial ones are non-binding, and I think that will keep. I think that'll keep a lot of people from. From coming, like I think that'll keep a lot of the people they were hoping to drive to the polls as a result. Um, but again, like the kind of to a point that I made earlier, I think there are a lot of people that can vote for a progressive mayoral candidate and vote against fluoride. I know that, I know that sounds odd, but you can't necessarily pigeonhole all the these voters into. Um, uh, you know, I, I, just because you vote for one thing doesn't mean you'll necessarily vote for other thing, particularly on a municipal level, because of the, the the issues are so like present in your day to day. And I think we see that at the. I mean, you, pe people vote, people interpret, and and act differently in in different ele elections at different levels of government. And I mean, you see that municipally, you see that even between provincial and federally. I mean, in Edmonton, there are a lot of provincial NDP voters and federal conservative voters, people who vote conservative federally and NDP provincially for, and they vote for, for different reasons. Right. Um, so I'm always a little reluctant when I talk to candidates who are like, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a new Democrat and I'm going to get all the new Democrats to vote for me in this, you know, school board election or in this city council election, or I'm a conservative. I'm going to get all the conservative candidates to vote. And I just, I mean, I, 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 people don't really think like that municipally. Right. It's, I mean, gen, gen, generally, um, you know, I mean, even in, even in, um, I mean, you could, go and drive, drive around, drive around Edmonton. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you could look at, you could find houses that had orange signs on their front lawn that would have, you know, during one provincial election that would have, you know, a, a signs for perhaps a more conservative candidate on their lawn in, in, um, in a municipal election, depending on the individual, because it is such a, such an individual based, uh, individual based election. It's all about name recognition. So I, I want to, sorry, Chris, you want to say something? 
I, I just actually want to say something because I, I feel like we're we're sort of nearing the end of the discussion on municipals. Uh, I the the all these rules that were put into place on the the changes to the local authorities elections act were all billed as um, you know leveling the playing field for for candidates. I you know you can debate. There's lots of debate about whether people. Uh, whether that has done that or not, um, and I don't think that it has. I, 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 I think that the ability to donate five thousand dollars to as many candidates as you want is like I don't know who that, I don't know who that regular I don't know who that change is targeted at. Mm-hmm. You know, like who's handing out five like fifteen thousand dollars of their own money in a non tax deductible donation to three candidates like uh, you know that's a normal housing developers well sure i mean sure maybe or like you know but there's a very specific i think person that 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 is going to be able to take advantage of that you know like um but all that aside i think that in edmonton uh, what i've seen in edmonton is that the way to really level the playing field is to drastically change the word boundaries uh, I think that has done more to level the playing field than any provincial uh, legislative change because your you know your lists change. You're all of a sudden you're if you're an incumbent you're not you're not potentially representing a huge group of people that that you were before. Um, it has been really interesting to see, and I, I feel like it has encouraged people to come forward under under new warts. Um, and I think it is a real dis- not disadvantage, but I think it does knock back incumbents a little bit and uh, force them to make different kinds of choices. And you know, like you've seen Tony Caterina moving his uh, his candidacy to a- an area that he's never represented before. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really fascinating to see that. I, I and I would I'd love I think an, a thorough examination of how that impacted the results of the council race is. Um, is worth taking a look at it at the end because maybe that's something that should be done every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the boundaries have been drastically redrawn for most of the city um, in, in yeah. terms of most of the words. So um, and it has, I mean, it has really shaken things up. And as you said, you have councillors who are run, just have to admit, you know, in one case have decided to run in a totally different area of the city than they, they represented previously. Are there, are there any races that you're watching for council or that you, that you, you think will, will be interesting to watch? that you'd want to share with our listeners? I think the Métis, uh, I think the Métis ward in Edmonton is Mm -hmm. going to be really interesting. I think that is highly competitive. Um, I think it's really uh, great to see so many women candidates coming out uh, Mm -hmm. this early. Uh, And, and they are, and they're putting together very good looking campaigns, right? They have the, the, the structure of the campaign looks good. The material looks really fantastic. Um, it's, um, you know, the uh, I'm I, the Métis Ward, I think, is the one I'm, I'm looking at the most. Uh, uh, Papa Stew as well. I think, uh, you know, I don't think there's any point in relating them to old ward number names, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, those are the two I'm looking at. Danny, is there any, any, any ward, any city council wards that, uh, that you're looking at? Uh, yeah, right now, same with Chris. Really, the, the Métis Ward seems like it's the uh, the most interesting, um, but it's it's still so wide open. I'm just trying to keep a keep a handle on who's actually declaring and and who's rumored to declare. Uh, so I haven't really winnowed my focus yet. 
Well, mm-hmm. the, the DaveBurda.ca website was, oh, was yeah. a very good resource. An excellent resource. <laughs> Yeah, I have, I have, I have, I have, I haven't even promoted that on the on the podcast yet. Yes, I'm maintaining the, I'm I'm updating the list of, tracking the list of candidates who are running for, uh, for mayor, city council, and for, um, uh, the Catholic and the public school board. And I'm actually going to add. I've had a couple listeners uh, ask me if I would uh, would track the race for the uh, francophone school board too. So I'm planning on adding the, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, track trying to track the candidates for the uh, for the local francophone school board as well. But yeah, there's. It seems like it seems like there's a lot of candidates that are coming out early. Um, but I mean, I think I mean as as you, you guys have both said, I mean the new ward boundaries have a big, have made a, um, I think an extra incentive for or made it extra urgent. Uh, the created a sense of urgency for candidates, especially running for city council, to get out there early and introduce themselves because they are, I mean, even if you were a like an incumbent councillor or a candidate who ran in the previous election and did very well, there's a good chance if you're running again this year, you're running in a in a ward that has a lot of new communities that you wouldn't have run in in the previous election. Um, mm-hmm. So there's no real, I mean, there are incumbents, but there are no with the exception of a couple wards, and I, I think I think of the um, the former, well, I guess current ward four, future ward uh, Denny up in the northeast, um, which is represented by Aaron Paquette. I think that ward. I don't know if they're actually. I think that actually that ward actually might be exactly the same as it was. I think it might be the only ward that didn't have any any meaningful changes in terms of its boundaries. So um, he would be an incumbent, but the the, the rest yeah. of them seem to be. You know, they'll be they'll be campaigning on on a lot of new territory. Um, now, before we, I guess before we, we we start to move on, I mean, I want to talk about provincial, but um, just to touch on touch on provincial politics a bit. But I want to touch on it a bit in the in terms of the context of the municipal election. We've talked a little bit about it before, um, but and we we just talked a bit about the the equalization referendum. And I really don't want to spend too much time on this, but but I wanted to guys ask you to ask your guys thoughts on. How do you think the mayoral candidates are going to interact with this, with this kind of provincial, this the province kind of injecting itself, the provincial government, the UCP injecting this kind of provincial federal issue in an admissible campaign? Do you think, like, do you think mayoral candidates are going to be taking positions on this, or or do you think this is something that's kind of going to be ignored as a sideshow? So some of those things are going to be very challenging. Like, say somebody that would want to run as a progressive candidate, they're not going to run a get like for equalization that would just be a ridiculous stance to take in alberta um so you'd be better off to just not really touch it to leave that like to say that you know this is the province this is what they're dealing with i'm going to focus on what i'm dealing with and i would say that probably conservatives may want to do that as well it might be easy enough to say you know it's a good idea let's look and see if we're getting a fair deal i'm just asking questions which is of course the uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. the fail safe of all uh, all conspiracy theorists i'm just putting it out there yeah. um just in know, a province-wide referendum that's do a, your yeah. research yeah that's right. uh, i i think uh i think they'll if I were running a mayoral campaign, and I want to make it very clear that I'm not and will never be, uh, and if you want evidence of that, uh, I'm still married and I intend to remain married. Um, the uh, uh, I th- I would probably not want to touch that issue with a barge pole. I think anytime somebody brought it up, I would try and pivot away from it as soon as I could to talk about my issues. I'd say, well, you know, Voters are going to make the decision that they're going to make. What I really want to talk to you about is, so, um, I, I, but it, it, to the point that it might become unavoidable, it might be a bit of a litmus test for 
how people relate to the to the provincial government and how they might be ready to act toward the provincial government. Um, you know, some candidates might look at that referendum and say, this is a really good example of of the provincial government not respecting municipal boundaries or something like that. And, and they might decide to make, instead of staying away from it entirely, they might decide to, uh, to lean into it. But if I were providing advice, I'd say just maybe, you know, I, I think it's enough of a sideshow and I think people will, I'm not sure how seriously people are going to take this equalization referendum question. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I don't know if they're going to think that it's an abject joke, but I don't know if it's really, I mean, it is something that the provincial government has put on the on the ballot. I think, regardless of whether people are really passionate about it or not, I don't think. I think there are cer certainly there are some Albertans that want to, that question answered, but as a non-binding referendum question that they can't necessarily do anything about. And I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's a it's an invitation for the provincial government to take a some a, a certain type of advocacy. It's not a it's not a decision that's being made. And I think they're going to have to make that very clear because if an overwhelming number, if they say, you know, Hey, if you vote for this, then we're going to make, we're going to change the way equalization works. And the, but the province isn't empowered to actually do that. Then it's like, looks like another thing that they are unable to do. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it seemed like, like it was something that, I mean, this is a result of the, the fair deal panel that was struck after the federal election. There was a big kind of the, yeah. the wig that wave after the federal election, people were angry about the federal liberals being reelected. There was, you know, there were, there were, you know, this, this fringe group of separatists that started holding town hall meetings. And, and at the time, Jason Kenney's approval rating was still high. The UCP was still polling high. This was before the pandemic, before um, Albertans really started to sour on the, on the UCP and, and on Jason Kenney in particular. And it seems like, like this, like the equalization referendum and all these kind of machinations of the, of the fair deal panel were kind of put in motion before all that. And I don't necessarily know, like, I don't think, I don't necessarily think this is going to be a, like, I think this could actually hurt Jason Kenny politically. Um, and I don't necessarily think he has the, I don't, I'm not actually convinced that he, and I mean, you disagree with me, disagree with me if, if you think I'm wrong, but I don't necessarily think he has the political capital to kind of make, to kind of push this through. Like, I think this might actually, if people don't take this equalization referendum seriously, if they think it's this kind of like sideshow, um, like, I don't think it benefits him. Like if people aren't in a mood for a big fight with the federal government and they, they, yeah, they want to focus on, on an actual municipal issues. Yeah. I think they're, I think this is a case where the provincial government has needed to follow through on something that they said they would do, but I think I'm not sure they're going to put a whole lot of time into it. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, I, mostly because I, you know, people's issue sets are very different than they were mm -hmm. 10 months ago uh, mm -hmm. or 12, 12 months ago, I guess now that we're really into it. Uh, I think, you know, one of the, one of the interesting things about the municipal candidates that I've seen so far, whether they're a mayoral or whether they're, and council is I'm seeing not a whole lot of discussion about COVID or pandemic preparedness or public health measures or how, what, you know, like, it's definitely not a focus of anyone's campaign, mm -hmm. um, which is weird because it's like the one thing that absolutely everybody is, is thinking about on an, on a daily basis and municipal governments can only do so much, but um, so no, I, I think, I, I don't, I just don't think it's an issue that people are, I don't think no. I'm not sure that ref or the equalization payments are an issue that we have the that voters believe we have the luxury of thinking about a whole lot right now. Sorry, Danny. Oh no, no, no! I was kind of interrupting you. 
Um, I was just going to say, I think that the reason for that is that campaigns tend to, like, they tend to run the last election. They don't tend to think of, like, you know, everybody's no, kind of relitigating no. the past. So I I think it's going to take a little while or maybe actually getting those questions when they're engaging with voters um, before they start to kind of clue in because they're still probably on photo radar um, some other great Edmonton issues like potholes, uh, potholes, perennial issues, and that's what back to basics means, right? It means like let's not be worrying about this like other stuff, but it's a miscalculation if you think that like we've all been in our home for a, nearly a year and it's on our mind and there's no way to get around that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, oh, also I think- the East Glen pool. Yes, yes, that's, that's a big that's a big issue. I, I am I am a I am a for those who follow me on on Twitter I am a one issue voter when it comes to uh, to municipal elections and that has everything to do with the East Glen pool and whether whether my local city council candidate is going to keep that neighborhood pool open. Uh, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm more, more than a one issue voter, but the East Glen pool is like definitely up in my top up in my top three and uh, and I'm thankful that uh, that city council voted. Uh, uh, I guess last year already uh, to unanimously to keep the pool open, despite another attempt to uh, by by someone in the administration who desperately wants that pool closed. Uh, sorry, can I say one last thing on this, Dave? For sure, yeah, absolutely. The last year's the last year's municipal budgets looked were were tough. Were tough budgets for councils. Mm-hmm. This year's municipal budgets, I think, are going to make those budgets look like a picnic, and they are going to be the first thing that these new councils get dropped on their desks as soon as they come in you're talking about like a generationally difficult budget that a brand new council like edmonton is going to have six new councillors probably and an and a new mayor mm-hmm. and and like you know by all accounts that the whoever gets elected mayor will have some level of of credible experience in the job but um i mean it's a long campaign yet but the um but that uh, that that's a big. I mean, that should really be something that voters are, are thinking about. Is like a a budget that will dictate a lot of what happens in the next four to five to ten years is gonna is coming around this time. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be really yeah. It's gonna be a, a very challenging, uh, very challenging next term for whoever gets elected. And I think that's why it's important for it, not only just Edmontonians but people in other municipalities, Calgarians. I mean, we focused a lot of focused a lot on Edmonton. Um, in this uh, in this episode, but I think it's province wide. It's going to be very challenging, and it's going to be really important for Albertans to elect people who are going to you know safeguard the the, the things that uh, you know. I mean, be obviously be you know good fiscal stewards, but also safeguard the things that uh, that help us uh, you know preserve this great quality of life we have in this city and and in this province. Um, we're we are running out of time, but before we before we go. Uh, I would. I just wanted to ask Danny. Um, could you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the Rage Against the Municipal uh, newsletter? Share with our listeners sure. what's going so on. This, there? Yeah. So this is a a bit of a passion project between uh, my friend Tim Gesser and I, and we um, we were just we've. Uh, I think maybe we we have a little bit more of a pessimistic view of. Of voting uh, than both you and Chris, because I I don't really think that people are aware of of municipal issues or the division of government or what each level of government is responsible for. Because the number of times I've had to explain to people that you know the province deals with education and healthcare, not the federal government. There's 
every every single um, municipal election, there's a candidate running on something that they have absolutely no business really running on because they have no uh, scope or authority. So I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen. And a lot of, um, you know, the media is just not in the position um, locally in our local newspapers to cover um, municipal politics the way that they used to be covered. So this was something that we really wanted to, uh, not not so much on the news side, there's still some good news coverage. Uh, there's still some reporters who are, who are covering City Hall who will cover a lot of the issues that people care about. But the analysis piece is missing. So we're trying to bring that to the conversation. So yeah, yes, it's a weekly newsletter. We're putting out some um, some content every week and then, you know, Writers want to get paid, so we're building up our subscription base and then going to be offering some paid content as well. The response has been amazing. I mean, we're already, it's we're a small little thing. We're just two people exploiting our own labor. So uh, we have over 100 <laughs> subscriptions already. We're really thrilled. We're going to be speaking to some journalist students about covering uh, local politics and, and how you do that. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a little little project we're going to see where it goes and we're hoping that we can just share the things that we're passionate about um tim in particular very passionate about urban development and cities and how you make uh, a place livable and walkable so you know you can look forward to a lot of that from him for me i guess i'm a little bit more on like the nerd side a little bit more on like fascinated by campaign strategy looking for that kind of information excellent i think it's a really good resource i really i'm really enjoying it Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. It's been great. Great so far. Looking forward to seeing what you guys uh, put, yeah, um, uh, produce over the next or the content you put out over the next, I guess, 10 months or so till the, uh, or I guess eight months until the, uh, the mayoral or the municipal election. Where, where can they, uh, just for our listeners, where can they find, find you at uh, Rage Against Municipal? You can find us on Twitter at Rage Municipal or rageagainstmunicipal.substack.com. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Everybody check, check that out. Um, this has been great. Thank you to both of you for, uh, for joining us today, um, this morning, uh, talking about municipal politics in, in Edmonton and in Alberta. Um, again, thank you, Danny Parody and Chris Henderson for joining us. Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, and thanks to our talented producer, Adam Rosenhart for making this podcast sound so great. The Dayberta podcast is a proud member of the Alberta podcast network, locally grown community supported, uh, send us your feedback on Twitter and Instagram at, at Dayberta or visit the Dayberta Facebook page. And uh, if you like the like the episode, feel free to share it with your your friends, your family, your colleagues, and leave a uh, a rating where you listen to the podcast. We love it when uh, when you leave us a rating. So thanks so much, and we'll uh, we'll see you guys in a few weeks. 